five steps. I could break it down in 11 questions that every manager can use in every conversation because every conversation is a coaching opportunity. So if you lead with questions rather than lead with answers, you're already starting the positive race towards becoming an exemplary coach and leader and salesperson. Welcome to Outside Sales Talk, where we meet with industry experts to learn the strategies and tactics that make them successful. I'm your host, Steve Benson, and I've helped thousands of salespeople all over the world crush their quota. Today, I'll help you crush yours. Welcome back to Outside Sales Talk. Today, we've got Keith Rosen with us, and we're going to talk about how to create a high-performing sales culture. Uh, as a little bit of background, Keith Rosen is the CEO of Profit Builders, an award-winning talent development organization focused on supporting and training salespeople and managers. With his proven methods, he is helping managers transform into elite coaches and develop top-performing cultures. Keith has over 30 years of experience working with more than 3 million salespeople and executives across various industries. He's also a keynote speaker and an author of several books, including his latest one, Sales Leadership. So, uh, Keith, thanks for coming on the show and, uh, and welcome. Thank you. Great to be here, Steve. So, just to jump into it, uh, you recently published your new book, Sales Leadership. What was the inspiration for this topic and, and in particular, and what is your key message that you're trying to get across? Mm. Uh, I'm going to answer the, the latter first. The key message is coaching is the universal language of development and positive change. And the, and I will, and I don't often talk in absolutes, the only way to develop a top performing coaching culture, develop sales champions, uh, sustain uh, the culture, embed it, have a universal language of leadership, which is coaching. The only way you can achieve that is by having your managers and your salespeople transform into exceptional coaches. So in terms of how I got here to this latest book, uh, 10 years ago, I wrote Coaching Salespeople into Sales Champions. And uh, that book took me around the world, um, working with some wonderful companies uh, like Microsoft and, and Google and LinkedIn and, and Microchip and uh, just uh, Oracle, uh, just really wonderful companies and really dedicated, caring managers. And uh, because of the size of those organizations, they sent me around the world. And I was in 75 countries uh, in over five continents and delivering this to not only different company cultures, but different geographical cultures. And over this last 10 years of traveling the world, uh, I, I amassed more and more stories, more and more experiences, more and more um, subtle challenges that exist globally in certain cultures where they may feel coaching may not work for them or they have no idea what coaching is, which is quite frankly, most managers. So over the last 10 years, it's been a journey for me, uh, working with all these different companies, working globally, to really take this book and make it a universal book for every manager on the globe. Oh, it's not just a US point of view, it's a global point of view. And I have stories throughout the book uh, from, I don't know, probably 25 different countries that I, that I discuss uh, in depth um, how that made an impact, whether I was in Saudi, whether I was in India, whether I was in Germany or Spain or uh, France, uh, those stories um, to really help people see, oh, okay, this really does apply to me. It's not doesn't only apply to my company, but it applies to who I am, who I want to be, regardless of where you live in the world. Awesome. So, and what, in your opinion, is broken or inefficient about the way people do coaching today? And what approaches do you recommend instead? A mm. uh, recent statistic I saw uh, from Gardner was one out of 10 managers are actually prepared for their role in management. Hmm. It's pretty scary. It's pretty scary statistic. I'm thinking about my own company and just terrified with that statement. <laughs> well, you know what? We could take that conversation offline, okay, Steve? <laughs> Thanks. Unless you want to do some live coaching right now, we can. No, uh, no I, don't, I think that would bore our listeners. They, we try to make things general. And, and, 
and you know most of uh, most of our listeners are, are field salespeople or or their managers or leadership, and so and that's that's different than uh, than us as a software company. No, but no uh, yeah. So tell tell me about tell me about the what's broken about coaching. Well. I think where it all starts is the understanding of what coaching even is. You know, I, I've lost count of how many times uh, salespeople have come to me and said, you know, Keith, I, I don't think my boss is coaching me very well. And I'll, of course, I'll ask why. Walk me through that conversation. And inevitably, it would sound something like this. Well, Keith, I approach my boss and I have a challenge and, or I have a goal I want to achieve and uh, my boss says, okay, what a great coaching opportunity. Okay, I'm going to put my coaching hat on right now. Okay, you ready? Here's what you need to do. That's not coaching. That's being the directive chief problem solver that 99 and 9 tenths of managers all over the world fall into that trap. We become a victim of our culture every time you have a target on your back, KPIs to hit, uh, quota to achieve. How can you not be so result-driven? Mm -hmm. And we're so result driven that we believe we don't have time to coach. Well, number one, which is a total misnomer because you can coach in 10 minutes or less if you have the right framework, which I'm sure we'll talk about. And number two, it's the only way to scale. You can't scale dependency. So managers think they're coaching. They're not. They are not even close because I talked to over 3 million in my career and this conception of coaching, it's, it saddens me because I've walked into companies that tell me, Keith, you know, we've tried the coaching. It just doesn't fit for us. And after doing my due diligence, they, chapter one in my book is all about, is your company ready for this cultural evolution? And it has a whole assessment to ensure your company is ready. And it's not that coaching doesn't work. Coaching works phenomenally well with outstanding measurable results. However, the, the companies that come to me and say, well, Keith, we're coaching, but we're not getting those results. Come on, let's break it down to simplicity here. It's because you're not coaching. If you were, you'd be achieving all those results. You would be able to coach in 10 minutes. You would build deeper trust with your people. You would um, retain your top performers. You would accelerate your sales cycle. You would increase forecast and pipeline accuracy. And you'd be happy. These are all the things that I don't know anyone who doesn't want that, whether you're a sales manager uh, or salesperson. So what's broken is their companies aren't taking the time to really structure. What do we want our culture to look like? How are we going to do this? What's the framework we're going to adopt and how can we make it universal? And nine out of 10 managers I ask don't have a methodology of coaching, don't have a coaching framework. Some may think that coaching is all about asking questions, but they don't even have the right questions or process to ask. So that's where the breakdown starts immediately. Managers aren't trained how to coach. And if you want to be a professional athlete, you need to be trained and coached. Okay. So you, and, and you wrote, you wrote about the leads coaching framework. Um, what, what is, what is the leads coaching framework and what is it about? What, what results have businesses seen from implementing it? Mm. So uh, I've had the distinct pleasure, as I mentioned, working with some you know, phenomenal companies all over the world. And uh, inevitably, there are several questions that always surface when it comes to, okay, Keith, here's our culture. We want to make sure it fits. Um, we have already our defined sales process. And if you're coming in with a coaching model and a methodology, it's really important that it aligns with our current culture and our current sales methodology. And that's the one distinction that companies tell me my, my leads framework does. It, it, it aligns beautifully, overlays and complements and reinforces their sales process. So the leads framework, which is learn, enroll, assess, define, support, five steps, I could break it down in 11 questions that every manager can use in every conversation because every conversation is a coaching opportunity. So if you lead with questions rather than lead with answers, you're already starting the positive race towards becoming an exemplary coach and leader and salesperson. So there's a chapter about knowing your players covering field observation tactics. This is really important for field salespeople, I think. Could you talk about 
what what are the most important field observation tactics and why are they so important? Sure. Um, and before I jump there, and please remind me uh, if I don't have a senior moment, uh, going back to the leads framework here, I just want to make sure I'm clear. It doesn't matter what you sell. It doesn't matter your current company size or industry. The leads framework is universal. So the framework itself applies for sales leaders, non-sales leaders, um, people who are managers in marketing or operations. And that's really why companies love it because it's something that transcends throughout their entire organization, including their salespeople. Uh, every department, that's how you break down departmental silos. Because while the framework stays the same, the people change and the conversations change. So now you are actually creating a unified message throughout the organization, a unified methodology and a unified framework that every single person can leverage and support each other as well as their clients. So just wanted to make sure that um, you don't need more than one coaching framework if it's done right. Uh, to your point about observation, it, it's, it's, uh, I, <clears throat> I, I don't even ask uh, managers anymore, how much observation are you doing? Um, I just go right into, can I make the assumption that every manager in this room can do more observation with their people. And of course, every hand goes up. Now, <clears throat> managers will say they do some observation. They have lots of excuses why they can't do observation. Um, quite frankly, none of those excuses are valid because if they say they have new time, well, what are you investing your time in? Well, Keith, I gotta put out fires and my people need me and there's a line out the door and, and my, you know, my phone is just ringing off the hook and I have to deal with all, all these challenges. Well, if you're the quintessential chief problem solver, just doling out answers to your people, A, you're not developing them and B, you're just making them more dependent on you. So of course you're not gonna have time to do the other things that are most important. Uh, you want your time back? Coach more, work less. Have more time to focus on your people, especially in the field. And this applies to inside sales as well as outside sales. And what I find is managers, and interesting, I just had a conversation with a manager the other day, uh, VP of a, of a global sales team, and uh, we were talking about, hey, Keith, here, here's my KPI, here's my scorecard, um, you know, here's, I'm, I'm looking good, I'm green, I'm green, I'm green, a little red in this area, I need to boost this up. So we start talking, and we got on the conversation of, well, how much observation are you doing in the field? How much observation are your managers doing in the field? And she said, Keith, not enough. I said, well, then how do you assess talent? And she said, I look at a spreadsheet. I look at the results. I look at their activity. Okay, let's be really clear. That's called a spreadsheet jockey. You want to be a spreadsheet manager or you want to be a people manager? Choose. Here's the problem. Statistics, metrics, results, tracking. Of course it's important. But it only tells the manager what people are doing. It doesn't tell them how they're doing it, and it doesn't tell them the, the impact it's having, the language they're using. So you can look at a spreadsheet and look at the top performer, your A player, and then you can look at your underperformer, the C player, and you can look at this activity uh, report and say, gee, um, my C player is engaging in the same amount of activities as my A player. So then why is my A player an A player and my C player a C player? And the answer is, um, a players, great leaders, great salespeople don't always do different things. They just do things differently. Right. So the only way you can aggregate the impact and, and the, the skill set as well as the mindset of your people is you have to see it firsthand. Otherwise, and I'll be exceedingly clear, managers, listen to me. If you're not observing your people in the field or on the phone or during a meeting, or looking at their emails or what they're sending out, which could be scary enough, you have no idea what your people are doing. Makes a ton of sense. It, you've talked about how you can coach salespeople and managers in 10 minutes or less and, uh, and learn key important things and teach them key important things. What are, what are the key elements that you teach them in this short amount of time? Yeah, so to me, that was one of the most exciting things uh, that evolved from my last book into this book. Uh, because for the last 10 years, you know, I'm doing this for 30 years, coaching salespeople into sales champions, it, you know, it hit its 10th year anniversary. And over these 10 years and, you know, collecting and, and putting all my notes together for the new book, um, one of the common themes I always heard is coaching takes too long. 
And even when I was on site and delivering my leadership coach training program, they would see very quickly it doesn't. They would see that if you have the right framework, if you ask the right questions, you can move a conversation effectively to completion where it's not an interrogation, it's a collaboration. So now what I've done is I've kind of put my leads framework on steroids. I've, I've built it out. I've refined it even further so it's even more intuitive. And literally, if you can ask five questions, you can coach in 10 minutes or less. There are, there are 12 questions that are non-negotiable in practically every conversation. Mm -hmm. And that, if done correctly, it's sort of like preparing for a race. You know, if you train well and you know your objective, you're going to win, you're going to perform. Well, if you know your framework and you know the, the, the theory behind good coaching and only coaching one gap at a time mm -hmm. and following those questions, the, really the framework is going to do all the work for you. Okay, I'm, su I'm super curious. What, what, what are the questions? Let's go through them. Well, I'll tell you what. How about this one? How about I give everyone here the $1 billion coaching question that they can use to coach in 60 seconds? Okay, I love How's it. How's that one? So Let's here it, it is. Uh, aside from being able to coach in 15, 10 minutes or less, here is literally one question that encapsulates the, the entire leads framework. And mm -hmm. this is where no manager on this planet can push back and say, Keith, I don't have time to coach. Really? You don't have time to ask one question? Mm -hmm. Okay, so what's the question? Let's set it up. Direct report goes to their manager. Direct report says, hey, boss, I have this challenge. I'm working with this one prospect or customer, or I have this one goal I'm trying to achieve. I could really use your help. Now, the manager has a couple of choices now, right? This is their defining moment. They can go right into chief problem solver mode, tell them what to do, and then, of course, that person will continually come back for the answer every single time. Or we could take 60 seconds in less and just say something like this. Hey, Steve, you know, Thanks for coming to me and sharing this with me. I really appreciate it. You know, um, you're a lot closer to this situation than I am. And I really trust you and I trust your judgment. So in your opinion, how would you move forward to achieve the results you want? How long did that take? 15 seconds. <laughs> oh, so yeah, and I was being conservative with a minute. Uh, standard <laughs> value there. So now let's break this down. Um, Hey, thanks so much for coming to me. I, I really, really appreciate that. Acknowledging the fact that they are taking a proactive stance to want to do better, be better, and seek out good coaching. Number two, what do I say? I say, hey, listen, you know what? I'm happy to provide my opinion and you know, ideas to you. However, before you do that, you're a lot closer to the situation than I am, and I trust you and your judgment. So what are you doing now? You're still letting them know you're going to share your ideas, which of course is why they're coming to you. However, what precedes that is, hey, I want to know your opinion first. Every manager in every conversation, you must start by seeking to understand the other person's point of view. You don't start by dumping your agenda. And while managers typically, their typical model is, hey, boss, I have a problem. The first thing managers do is say, okay, here's what you need to do. Okay, well, they're missing all the questions to assess and refine down to the point of defining what that root cause is, what that coaching opportunity is, what the gap is. So when, when managers are taking the 60-second coaching question or 15-second coaching question, and they move through that and say, hey, I, tr I trust you and I trust your opinion, that builds trust. That builds, you know, you're, you're making that person feel more confident because they're like, my boss believes in me. Right. You're and empowering then, them. I, I love that. That's fantastic. And here's, here's the last part that's essential. And it's really important managers hear the language because the language of leadership is coaching and we need to get the words down. If you notice the question I finally asked was, what's your opinion on how to resolve this? What's your opinion on how to achieve the results you want? I did not say, what's the solution? What's the strategy or what's the answer? And mm -hmm. the reason why is because solutions, strategies, and answers can be right or wrong. Mm -hmm. Opinions mm -hmm. are never right or wrong. Everyone has an opinion. So by asking that, it, the, the person, the coachee can't come to you, even a client. They can't say, well, you know, I'm sorry, I don't have an opinion. 
You don't have an opinion, mm -hmm. but you have an opinion on your favorite food, favorite movie, how you like to travel, family values. Well, I'm sure you have an opinion on this. So now you're pulling this out. Now, I know at this point, managers are thinking, Keith, we're not done yet because all you did was you, you pulled out what they feel the right approach is to achieve something or resolve something. Mm -hmm. Well, at this point, there's three, three outcomes. Fully baked, half-baked, not baked. Fully baked solution, awesome. They might even come up with an idea better than the managers, which pff, that's a mind blow for managers there. Mm -hmm. Let them run with it. Half-baked solution or not baked at all, as in they don't even have the right ingredients. Probably it's the solution's not even in the oven. You don't say, are you, are you kidding me? Really? That's what you came up with? Good luck building trust there. Yeah, that did really, really well. I'm really going to want to come back to you for more coaching. What you're going to do is say, hey, thank you so much for sharing your opinion. I really appreciate it. Let's walk through your ideas together to ensure they achieve the results you want. And now you're collaboratively walking through what they shared and together fine-tuning that solution, that strategy, that message or process, where at the end of that conversation, the coachee feels empowered and supported because mm -hmm. they created it and what they create, they own. Very, this is fantastic stuff, man. I, I really like it. Um, so how can sales managers and leaders develop a culture that enables their teams to achieve top performance? What are, the, what are the cornerstones of a successful sales culture? What values, processes, policies do you think should be in place? Okay. I think I captured one of those three questions there, Steve. So I'm gonna, I'll, I'll break them down. If I forgot one, let me know, okay? Yeah, sure, sure. I can, uh, I can always bring it back. Okay, thanks. So if we start off with the first one, um, how do you develop a coaching culture, a, a unified culture where everyone in the organization is focused on a shared vision. And, you know, one of the things I talk about in, in my book is, you know, rather than your culture define your people, have your people define your culture. Because a coaching culture is really a human culture. It's a people culture. That's what, you know, that's the holy grail. And that's what I'm giving people in, in this book. So, what I find is where coaching fails is they'll kind of do these pockets of training. Oh, Keith, can you come in for a keynote and teach our people how to be masterful coaches? No, I can't. I need two days if you really want me to do, you know, do you right. And I refuse to do any client a disservice. So it, what I find is there are these like, oh, I ask clients, well, have you ever delivered any coach training for your managers? Oh, yeah, we watched some videos. Oh, we sent them your book. Oh, we did a half day. Now, I don't know any professional athlete that's becoming a pro, reading a book, watching a webinar, or doing a half day of, of a practice or training. So how you create this unified structure, everyone is a coach. The misnomer is, wait a second, only managers coach, and they only coach when there's a problem. Eh, no. Every opportunity is a coaching opportunity. It's just as important, if not more important, to coach the wins to reinforce the behavior you want your people to continually replicate. So the first thing is we have to define what is coaching in our organization. We need a universal definition because that's the one thing. There's no continuity in the definition of coaching in any organization I found. That's where they start. Second thing, how do we resolve the universal conundrum of promoting a top rep into a management position? which I'm sure no company ever does. Hope my sarcasm <laughs> is translating here. And the answer is quite frankly, very simple. Sales training is not the answer. If you transform your salespeople into what I call the consultative sales coach, that's your new competitive edge. The best salespeople are coaching their customers to succeed. And if you look at coaching and if you look at, um, selling, there are a lot of parallels. Being present, being patient, being insatiably curious, seeking to understand the other person's point of view, leading or selling with questions rather than selling with answers and pushing your agenda. These are all things that are very common, which, which makes the transition for salespeople a lot easier when you give them the skill of coaching. Now imagine this. So now they're getting promoted into management. They were coaching when they were selling, now they're in management, they have, the, they have the backbone, they have the foundation, 
and the acumen of coaching, well, guess what? They're prepared to be a leader now. So that is the answer to building a future bench of top sales leaders. What do you think is the number one key to transforming a, cult, a company's culture here? The number one, huh? Well, I, when I, if I could tweak that, and, I, and if we could just bring it down to the individual for a second, uh, there's really only a few things that need to be present for, for coaching to be uh, exponentially impactful and measurably impactful. Mm -hmm. uh, people need a desire to change. They have to have a desire to change. They have to have a desire to be uh, better, to better their best. Uh, they have to be committed to their own personal evolution. If that is present with people, coaching works phenomenally well. But you can't coach someone who doesn't want to change, which of course is a whole other conversation because if those are the people you have on your team, well, you may have the wrong people on your team. Now, how do you get people open to that? How do you get people bought into coaching throughout an entire organization? Well, you have to enroll people. You have to set intentions so people don't realize, you know, oh, this isn't another flavor of the month or, you know, this is what the company's hot on this week. I'm sure it'll go away next week. It has to be ingrained in that culture. There has to be a unified commitment across every department that we're all going to support each other. Managers coaching managers, Peter Peer. Salespeople coaching salespeople, Peter Peer. Salespeople coaching up to their managers. That's how you develop a holistic, sustainable coaching culture. So when you, you know, just to kind of reset that here, when you start off by saying, you know, what are our objectives here? What do we really want to achieve? And, and, I, and I think that's part of the problem. Managers don't know what they want to achieve from coaching. Companies say, I know we need it, but we're not sure what it's going to do for us. You know, we've read some articles, supposedly that's what we need to do. Well, my first question is, what kind of culture do you want? What are the results that you're not achieving that you want to achieve? Mm -hmm. And once we refine that and, and we look at what the, that vision of their culture is and we define that vision, from there, we need to enroll the entire organization. Everyone needs to know what the good intentions of every managers are. And every manager I know for the most part has good intentions. They truly care about their people. They want to help others succeed. The problem is managers don't know how, just like they don't know how to coach, they don't know how to enroll. So what happens is, hey, I'm going to start coaching you. Why? Because I told you I am. Okay. All that does is breed a culture of fear because when people don't know your intentions, the human condition is fear. Mm. Sort of like if I was your boss, Steve, and I sent you an email and in the subject line, it said in all caps, call me ASAP. What's your first reaction? Ah! <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> oh my gosh. Am I getting fired? Am I getting put on a pip? Uh, what's going on? Where did I mess up? We default mm -hmm. right to fear. We never say, Oh, my boss wants to tell me how awesome I am. We don't, we don't go there. So, and then of course you follow up and I say to you, Hey Steve, I just wanted to reach out and say, you did an awesome job managing that last account. Just wanted to let you know, kudos, keep up the great work. We don't expect that. So if managers don't take the time to say, Hey, here's what we're doing. Here's why we're doing it. And here's what's in it for you. Resistance is imminent. That's how you create alignment. That's how you create buy-in. People have to see what's in it for them. Mm -hmm. And from there, when they do, people want to be coached. Well, the next section in the, in the show today, we're going to do what I call sales in 60 seconds. And, uh, you know, I'll ask a series of questions and the goal is to answer them in 60 seconds. So it's a, you know, drinking from the fire hose situation. So okay. first, so first question, what skills and qualities make a great sales leader and coach? Mm. So if we look at the skill of coaching, which we've talked about is 
more of the structure of it, the framework, uh, the framework of enrollment, how to create that immediate buy-in from people and get them aligned so you have that united front, uh, the, the leads framework. That's the tactical application. The, enroll, the, um, the observation process, how do you observe? How do you deliver feedback in a way that actually creates a behavioral change? Those are all the skills, okay, that every manager needs to possess. But that's only half the game. Because if you're not changing how you think, whatever you start to do will fail. And this is why companies spend so much money and they don't get a return uh, from any type of initiative. It's a failed initiative. And it's because they're not, and the day is whether it's a facilitator, trainer, or coach, they're not taking the time to challenge people how they think. They're not working on the inner game of leadership and coaching. So to my point, to give you an example, what makes the best coaches, what makes the best leaders, it's not the go-do part, it's the go-be part. The best leaders I know are leaders who are people who care, people who are curious, people who are present and engaged in the moment, not focused on the future, people who put other people's agenda before their own. People who truly want to make an impact to support and help other people succeed. People that are humble. People that are authentic. People who are vulnerable, not in the way of putting yourself in harm's way, but being transparent. So these are just some of the inherent qualities of what makes a great leader. And when you take the doing part, and you marry it with the being part and coach people to upgrade their thinking and get rid of all the toxic thinking that is actually sabotaging them and their results and their team, that's when you can truly transform into a world-class leader and coach. Did I do it in a minute? <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's close enough. <laughs> what, are the, what are the biggest myths around coaching? Oh, gosh. Uh, coaching is for the underperformer. Coaching is for the problem child. Coaching takes too long. Uh, coaching doesn't work in our organization. They're all fallacies and misnomers. And anyone out there listening who truly believes that, call me now, email me now. Uh, I'll give you my mobile number. Let's have a conversation because I'm more than happy to sh share with you why these other companies have developed successful coaching cultures. I mean, it's case study after case study. It's just amazing uh, the, the, the business impact of coaching. So uh, that's that being part over that doing part. And how do you define a successful top performing sales culture? I'll do that. I can do this one in a minute. So basically there are going to be some measurable results that any organization or manager will see. Number one, your sales will go up. I've had clients that increase sales from 20 to 40%. I mean, let's say it's 5%. Imagine moving that needle 5%. That's an extra, extra mental bonus of, of millions of dollars, if not billions of dollars, depending on the size yeah. of additional sales. 5% more is not billions for me, but, I, but yeah, for some people. <laughs> you and me both. We're going to get there. We're going to get there. Uh, so, so you're talking about driving more sales. You're talking about accelerating your sales process. You're talking about greater forecast accuracy, greater pipeline accuracy. You're, the managers and salespeople are going to have less problems coming at them because they're honoring the ABCs of leadership, which is always be coaching. Uh, the companies will sustain uh, the culture for the long term because everyone in the organization is coaching. Uh, you will retain your top performers. How about this one? You will be able to turn around an underperformer in 30 days or less. Now, if that doesn't get companies' attention, I don't know what will. Uh, from there, how about the fact that you're going to show up and appreciate your job more? You're going to enjoy your job. It's going to be more fulfilling and satisfying. And when we live uh, in a society, in a workplace where 53% of people, more than half people in the workforce do not like their job. Wow. That's a, I believe that. It's a, it's a crazy stat, but yeah, I mean, I believe it. You know, and, and if that's where we are, these are the things that will show, hey, we do have a really strong culture and people show to work happy. Engagement goes up. I just got off. The, oh, my gosh. Yesterday. Couldn't make this up if I tried. 
talking to a company, uh, they said, Keith, we just got our engagement scores back. Zero is bad. We were negative 20. <laughs> now, if companies are looking at this saying, oh, that's not us, come on, look in the mirror. If you're not getting the results, stop lying to yourself. These are things that everyone has full control of doing. Three things you control in life. You control your attitude, you can control your actions, you control your communication, and you can control your reactions. Those are the three things that every human being has in their power. But it's ironic that managers run around trying to control everything that they can rather than mastering the things they can. So those are the components. Those are the KPIs. Those are the, the metrics that if those are present, companies are doing something right. And uh, when, when uh, national average right now, 72% of employees are disengaged. Again, when that score drops, these are against the measurables that you can say we are doing something right. The things that you may not measure are more of the feeling kind. You know, your people are happier. They're collaborating more. It's a, it's a happier workplace. It's a more supportive workplace. People are getting more fulfillment from their job. You know, there was another statistic out there I read that people are scared to take their vacation time in fear of getting fired. I just read that, a statistic. So people are literally not taking vacation in fear of getting fired because they're not going to be able to achieve their results. That is not a culture of support and coaching. And I think, and here's a really good point, and I'll stop here, is at least I think it's a good point. Companies confuse having a great culture with great results. Just because you're generating great results doesn't mean you have a great culture. That's so true. So what, what's, uh, what's your number one tip to handle difficult conversations better? Wow. Uh, we mentioned this before, and I'm going to laser this, the art of enrollment. Uh, when I work with managers and salespeople, before I move into this conversation and teach them this framework, uh, I say, how many people here have ever dealt with the difficult conversation? It's a rhetorical question. Every hand goes up. And then my next what if is, what if there was no such thing as a difficult conversation? And of course, at that point, people have a reaction, which is great, then I'm doing my job. Oh, but Keith, there are so many conversations that are difficult. Come on, let's talk about the hygiene conversation. That's always a tough one. The underperformance conversation, that's a tough one. Or how about the top performer who's just totally toxic with a negative attitude and is just breeding toxicity throughout my team? Okay, that's a tough conversation to have. I don't want to lose my top performer. Well, guess what? If you change the conversation, you change the outcome. So if a manager feels they have to have a difficult conversation, oh my God, here's what they do. They say, okay, I have to have this conversation with John. Oh my gosh, you know, his performance is slipping. We've had this conversation before and you know what? It just blew up and it was one of those things where at the end of the conversation, we just agreed to disagree, which to me is one of the dumbest sayings in the world. But aside from that, nothing's changed. There was no alignment and people are just going to go back to do what they did before. So what managers wind up doing and human beings, they say, okay, I have to have a conversation with this person. Last time it happened was really difficult. So they're taking a past experience and they're projecting it as a future expectation. In other words, a negative assumption. So now it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. They're going to go in already on the defensive because they are already assuming that what happened in the past is going to happen again. And that's exactly the, the path and the, the, the messaging that they take. And of course, at the end, they're like, yep, I told you it was gonna be difficult. So how do you avoid ever having a difficult conversation? Well, if you change your messaging, if you demonstrate that you care, if you suspend your assumptions and are open to creating a new possibility, then there's no, more, there's no more such thing called a difficult conversation. Because if I can go to you and say, hey, listen, you need to hit your quota this quarter. But, but wait, but wait, Keith, I, you know, I have so many, I have so many other you know, competing priorities and you know, I'm looking at my scorecard and I have all these other 10 things that I have to hit. What do I do? You know, that quote, it just seems a little high. You know, it, it, I don't think I'm going to make it. Now, what's the quintessential answer? Just be resilient. I got faith in you. You could do it. 
you just crush it. Just get out there and get, you know, get on the phones, get out there in the field. You'll do it. That's not coaching. That's hollow. So what? Now the, the salesperson knows exactly what to do. Okay. I know what to do. I'll work harder, whatever that means. So the art of enrollment changes everything because now when a direct report questions why they're doing something, why they have to change something, why they have to um, you know, buy into the new comp structure or the new sales process. The only way you can get alignment and buy-in is when people understand the benefits they're going to realize from this change. And that's the art of enrollment, even coaching. If you were the chief problem solver before, where your people know that every time they come to you, they're gonna get an answer, and then all of a sudden you had this miraculous transformation into a great coach and you're starting leading conversations with questions. If you don't prepare your people for change, they're going to look at you like you're weird. They're going to look at you and say, wait, who are you? Are you my manager's evil twin? My, my manager would just give me the answer and tell me what to do. Why are you asking me all these questions? And again, without setting intentions, people go to fear. Are you putting me on a pip? Am I in trouble? Uh, you know, are you putting me in a corner? Uh, you know, uh, what's going on? Is my performance off? They don't know why you're asking the questions. So we have to reset the expectation of how the manager is going to engage with their team, how salespeople will engage with their customers. And every one of these templates are in the book, literally word for word, how to eliminate difficult conversations, how to actually have these difficult conversations. They have the templates, they have the tools and the questions to truly use that as a, as a coaching platform, as a, as a coaching talk track to facilitate those conversations, to create that alignment, create that buy-in so people are now open to change. Okay. So what's the biggest lesson you've learned from working with so many different sales leaders and businesses over the years? Oh, wow. I, I, I pride myself on being very coachable as well. And, and uh, I couldn't be where I am without my clients who have contributed so much in my life. And I'm eternally grateful for. And I've learned every time I've traveled, whether it's in another country or another company. And the one thing I could say that I've learned, and I'm going to say this from a holistic point of view, uh, and of course, there are some probably other universal principles that can apply, but managers and companies will say, you know, Keith, you have to understand our culture. Our company culture is very unique. And my response is, listen, I know you guys are special. I know you want to feel special and I'm not, I'm not invalidating that, but let's be clear. Every company is running to the same challenges. Okay. Every manager wants to develop a world-class team. Every manager wants a team of accountable performers. Every manager wants people that are confident and are self-generating solutions without needing to continually rely on their manager for support. These are the things that I've noticed that are, it's, a, it's, a, it's an eternal conundrum. It's a universal conundrum that while every company may be unique in what you sell, at the end of the day, we're dealing with people. And every person, what does every person want on this planet? They want to be happy. They want to be healthy. They want to make an impact. They want to take care of their family. That's universal. And if you take those, those core human values, and you can instill them in any organization, you know, that's when organizations really start breeding that culture of coaching and realize that, you know what, maybe we're not so different, you know, because a lot of the stuff that I read in Keith's book is really does apply to me. And that's something I, I, I learned and I had to learn it very early because it's very easy to get sucked in to what a client says. And remember, you know, clients are there not for you to tell them what you already know. You're there to tell them what they don't know that they couldn't see on their own, you know, and that's what coaching is all about. So I hope that answers your question on that one, Steve. Yeah, for sure. Uh, well, so given that you're an expert in sales leadership, what is your best advice that you want our listeners today to remember from you? Mm. I would start off by taking the time to write out your personal vision. Now, I know that could be an hour long conversation in and of itself. But who are you? Who do you want to be? And who you are is always going to be more important than what you do. So personal vision is first. And by the way, personal vision, the individual, 
There's the corporate vision that needs to be created. There's the team vision that needs to be created. Once you as a human being have your own personal vision, define your values. What makes you fully self-expressed every day? Now that you have that, how are you going to align that with what you do at work every day? So when you have that foundation and, and that, that, that guiding North Star, you know, that, that, that vision of, of who you want to be, who you want to become, and where you want your team to be, that's where it starts. And then some of the softer, and I hate, let me take that back. There's no such thing as a soft skill. A skill is a skill. But the inner game, be present. Live in the moment. Because we are always focused on the results and we're being pulled in so many different directions, we're never being present. We're either living in the past or we're focused on the future. Most managers and salespeople live in the future. At what cost? The present. Where do you coach the present? Where do you create new possibilities? The present. Where does creation have, happen in the moment? You cannot coach if you are not present. You could have all the skills in the world. You can have my framework. But if you are not in the moment, fully focused and engaged in that conversation and on that person, and you have not surrendered and parked your agenda, the coaching will fail. So as a, as a final takeaway, what should the field salespeople today, listening today, do as a first step to become better sales leaders and create a thriving coaching culture? Mm. So other than read my book, uh, the first step is, is to really, you know, reflect on what we talked about here. Salespeople, you know, hey, I sold my whole life. I'm still selling and I'm proud to be a salesperson and a coach and a thought leader and all that good other stuff and an author. I'm proud of that. It's a noble profession and everyone is in sales, but everyone's not in coaching. So if salespeople want to develop their competitive edge and they want to sound different than all their competitors who are calling on the same prospects, change your messaging, change your approach, change your mindset and start coaching your customers to succeed. Don't just get on the phone and start pitching and doing the whole show up and throw up. You know, seek to understand. And it's amazing how, I, again, lost count, how many times I've been in uh, situations observing new managers coaching each other. And the dialogue ends and the manager says, oh my God, that was amazing. I just got answers to challenges that I've been struggling with for years. My peer just helped me with that. So now they're leaving wanting to coach rather than feel they have to coach. So for sales, for salespeople, it's shifting that thinking, just like leading with questions rather than leading with answers. Lead, sell with questions. Don't sell with answers. Seek to understand. Tap into the individuality of each client and prospect the same things that we would do when we're coaching. Fantastic. Well, I'm going to try to summarize uh, the, all the great content that we've talked about today in a couple minutes so that people can, who are driving, et cetera, can, that it'll help it stick in their mind. So uh, first off, coaching is the ultimate way to develop your sales team. You need to turn your managers and reps into coaches to develop the best sales team. What's broken with coaching is that sales managers don't truly understand what coaching is. Companies think that coaching doesn't work for them, and this probably means that they aren't actually coaching. <laughs> managers have a coaching methodology established, and manage, but managers themselves aren't trained to coach. Often, sales managers are so results-driven they also think that they don't have time for coaching. The two, they, they, it gets in the way. Sales managers should do more observation of their salespeople in order to learn how to coach best. No sales manager is doing as much observation as they should be doing. <laughs> learn to manage your salespeople through observation instead of managing them with a spreadsheet. The only way to truly know how well your salespeople are doing is to observe them in the field with your own eyes and ears. 
Keith uses the leads framework to build a process around coaching sales teams. It's important to lead with questions when you're coaching in order to open up the door to hear from your salespeople. The best advice, the best way to start coaching is to say, uh, when, you, when your reps come to you for advice, to tell them, thanks for coming to me. I really appreciate that. I'm happy to help you out. But first, I know that you're closer to this situation. In your opinion, how would you move forward to achieve the results that you want? This allows your salespeople to feel empowered and confident. Every company should first start by creating a unified sales culture where everyone is trained to become a coach. It's vital to establish a universal definition of coaching within your organization so that everyone's on the same page, speaking the same language. The best salespeople are the ones who are coaching their customers to succeed. Salespeople should learn to coach early on in their careers so that when they become managers, they're really ready to take on the role of coach for the team. It's important to not only build a culture that achieves great results, but to build a culture that is supportive so that you can maintain your top reps. Ultimately, creating a unified sales culture will help turn around underperforming reps, retain your best salespeople, and drive more sales. Well, Keith, I know you do a ton of coaching for sales managers and sales leaders. Where can listeners read more about your work and reach out to learn more about you? Sure. Uh, easiest place to go. The corporate website is coachquest.com. However, my personal blog is keithrosen.com and there's tons of templates and uh, podcasts and uh, uh, videos, training coaching videos and, and other additional eBooks and resources they can get and download for free. Um, as my commitment is to truly impact as many salespeople and leaders as I can while I'm on this planet. That, that truly is my purpose. So uh, that's where they can get a lot of the resources. And of course, um, they can email me directly. I'll, you know, I'll give everyone my personal email. Don't tell anyone. It's <laughs> Keith R at KeithRosen.com. Let's just keep that on the lowdown. So you know, I don't, don't get every email from every person watching. But feel free, in all seriousness, I love to hear from people. Please email me. And if I could help you, it would be deeply my pleasure because that is really the gift that I get is uh, I get to support people in becoming more successful. Awesome. Well, Keith, thanks so much for coming on Outside Sales Talk. I hope everyone's enjoyed this episode. If anyone has any feedback, feel free to reach out and let me know at feedback at outsidesalestalk.com. If you like the podcast, please subscribe, leave us a review. It helps spread the word to get uh, more outside salespeople like you to find out about it. Take care until next week, guys.